Oh, Father, we've come to do just that. Unbelievable that someone would jump between us and the destroyer of the planet and take our poison in his own body. Make it clear as we reflect together. Let it come alive in our worshiping hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how much are you worth? I saw a little piece long ago, and I finally tracked it down in Google. Journal of American Medical Association, the magazine JAMA, back in 1922, ran an article on somebody's estimation of the worth of the human body. So they took all the the compounds and and chemicals, put a price tag to it. Here's how how the, uh, the, the piece summarizes our network, assuming an average man, all right? Here we go. We have, enough so- we have enough sugar in us to fill a shaker, all right? So we all have sugar in us. Enough iron in us to make a medium-sized nail. You got that? Enough phosphorus in us to make 2,200 match tips. Enough fat in us to produce seven bars of soap. Enough potassium in us to explode, explode a toy cannon. Enough sulfur in us to rid an average-sized dog of fleas. And one more ingredient, enough lime in us to whitewash a chicken coop. Total back there in 1922, total cost of the ingredients, 98 cents. So come on, how much are we really worth? You know, the reality is we live in a time thanks to social media and its culture, where the assault on our our self-worth is absolutely massive. You want to talk about uh, 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 cyberbullying? Unbelievable. Where anonymous kids who don't remain anonymous for long take a hold of some uh, social media platform, pick on one person, and then they gang up, and everybody is now shooting just venom at this little girl or this little boy or whomever. Cyberbullying just takes that fragile self-concept and just crushes it. And we have kids who try to survive that crushing. And it's not just uh, cyberbullying because nobody's ever picked on you in social media. But the reality is that social media offers, offers something we adults do. And that is we we curate ourselves. You know what I'm talking about. We go to social media, and we make the picture of us hardly even look like us. It is the ideal us that we want the world to see. We we tell stories about ourselves that that when I read it, I'm feeling so bad about myself. Number one, I don't look like him. Number two, that's never happened to me. And your curation, which really is not you, comes to me, and I think it is you, and now I'm feeling bad for me, and I turn around and curate myself. And you don't have to be a child to have a fragile self-concept that just gets fractured thanks to social media. How much are we worth? (laughs) Boy, I tell you what, it it, it really isn't social media. It's the enemy of us all. Every one of us has heard his whispering, you're nothing. You, you You are a loser. Reject. 
We've all heard that voice. It's the the venom of that serpent. So the big question is, is there an antidote for this venom that pretty much the entire culture suffers from today? I want you to open your Bible. Come on. Go to the little book of 1 Corinthians, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking for an antidote. We got to get this. If we can somehow find healing for our fractured self-worth, our, our, our just broken self-concept, if we can find healing for it, oh, today will have been a high day in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. All right, I'm in the NIV. Listen, this is familiar. It's not like I'm introducing a text you never read before. Some of you could repeat this by memory. But let's just read it out loud. We'll read it out loud together. We'll put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Those of you watching right now on live streaming, find it with us. Uh, And it's on our screen, so let's read it out loud together. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It's a question. Do you not know that? Now, come on, a little louder. Let's read the, the answer. You are not your own. Here comes verse 20. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, what kind of an antidote is that? Who bought us and at what price? We have been trained from childhood. We already know the answer. Of course we know who bought us. We know what the price was. We learned how to sing it. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. We got it down. The problem is, it doesn't get very far inside of us. It doesn't, it's not deep enough to stick. Now, who bought us? How much did he pay? Paul's already given us the answer. Let me put uh, 1 Corinthians 2 2 on the screen for you. This is, this is Paul talking. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul declares, look at guys, it's the cross of Christ. That's the place. Calvary is the place where you were bought at a price. Hmm. We've heard that all our lives. So big deal. No, 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 no. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Come on, come on. Do you know how much Jesus paid for you? 98 cents? That was 22. 1922. We're worth a few pennies more. How much did Jesus pay for you? Do you understand this? That when Jesus died on Calvary, he actually mentally, emotionally, and spiritually embraces the reality that when he dies, it will be a forever death, and he will die that forever death so that little old you, little old me, might live forever instead. He will exchange places with us. That absolutely blows your mind when you think about it. That's why we need to come to the cross often. Just to, you mean he was willing to die forever so that I could live forever? Yep. You were bought at a price. What price? Willing to pay eternity. Man, somebody must love me. Come on. For somebody to pay a, pay a price like that, you would have to be loved to the max. Uh, Brendan, Brendan Manning tells a story about a friend of his named Ed Farrell who's going over to meet his, his, his family in Ireland. He has never been over to Ireland, and he's over there for two weeks, summer vacation. And he meets his uncle, who is going to turn 80 while Ed is there. In fact, on the day of his uncle's birthday, Ed and his uncle get up early, and they walk the distance to Lake Killarney, and they stand there together, side by side, for 20 minutes, not saying a word, just body to body, as they watch the sun raise up over Lake Killarney and the Irish sky. 20 minutes later, they're heading home. 
Ed happens to look down at his uncle, and he sees his uncle's face just breaking out in this, this huge grin. And he says, Uncle Seamus, you must be happy. And his uncle replied, I am. But why? And then his uncle speaks these words, because the father of Jesus is very fond of me. Because the father of Jesus is very fond of me. And then Brandon Manning comments. i put his words on the screen for you. This is good. If the question were put, put to you, worshipers, right now, do you honestly believe that God likes you, not loves you because theologically he must, so how would you answer? If you could answer, the Father is very fond of me, there would come a relaxedness a serenity and a compassionate attitude toward yourself that is a reflection of God's own tenderness. If we really believed that the Father of the universe was fond of us, all the belittling efforts of the enemy, all of those fragile spirit crushed taunting that we receive from him, it would be for now. We just blow it away. I don't care. The Father of Jesus is very fond of me. <laughs> because we all know, cognitively, intellectually, we know it's at the cross where that love is poured out. Uh, Doug Cooper, in his wonderful little book, Living God's Love, Douglas Cooper puts it this way on the screen, nothing in human history has demonstrated more vividly the value of a human being than the death of Jesus Christ for each person. And to, to that, everybody here says, amen, amen. We got it. No, 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 no. Now, notice this next line. When a person begins to see that God loves him that much to exchange places forever and ever, you'll be dead forever so I can live forever. When God loves me that much, even while I am yet a sinner, when I hear the voice of Jesus Christ addressing me from the cross and gently calling me beloved, I come to see myself in a new light. That's what Cooper's writing. She gains, the woman who does this, the man who does this, he gains a new sense, sense of his own worth. He sees the value that God places on him. Now, listen, folks, the cross that we've come to celebrate today is the story of God so loving the world that we finally get it. All our, all our crushed and wounded self-concepts notwithstanding. It finally dawns, dawns on us like that Irish sunrise. Oh, the Father of Jesus is very fond of me. In fact, you know what? I wish you'd say those words. Come on, let's put, it on, put them on the screen. Let's just say them out loud together. Sometimes when, when our ears hear what our lips say, our mind actually starts believing it. Let's say it out loud together. No, let's go back. Uh, the Father of Jesus is very fond of me. Let's do that one out loud. Let's do it out loud, all right? The Father is very fond of me. Now, the way the uncle put it is the Father of Jesus. So we'll, we'll add of Jesus this time. The Father of Jesus is very fond of me. Do you believe that about yourself? Huh? Do you? Do you really think that God is fond of you? He likes you. I know he has to love you, but that, that he likes you. Listen to Cooper again. Because how does, this, how does this work? Okay, we're looking at the anti-venom to crushed self-worth. How does this work? 
One more line from Cooper. Individually coming to believe in and comprehend the magnitude and intensity of that sacrifice on the cross is the one and only experience which can instill in a person the necessary foundation for healthy self-worth. Trying to grasp the magnitude of that. Our grow group, I hope you're having a great time in your grow group. We're having a wonderful time in ours. We're, we're, we're looking at Neil Anderson's book, uh, Victory, over the, oh, Victory Over the Darkness. And here's the subtitle, Realize the Power of Your Identity in Christ. And I've been brooding on this for a few days because we've just been reading this. And it's that little line, in Christ. And he just goes to work on that line. I'm not going to try to summarize him. I'll put uh, Neil Anderson on the screen. And you, you just kind of brood over this with me. Understanding, he writes, your identity in Christ. That's the big theme of the New Testament. When you accept Jesus, you are in Christ. We are in Him. Understanding your identity in Christ is essential for living the Christian life. People cannot consistently behave in ways that are inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves. Look it. And this is good. You don't change yourself by your, percep your perception. You change your perception of yourself by believing the truth. Did you get that? There are a lot of positive thinking books out there that say, just, just change the perception and you'll be fine. Just change your perception. No, 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 no. You have to believe the truth. That's what will change your perception of yourself. And then he gives an example. If, if you perceive yourself wrongly, you will live wrongly because what you are believing is not true. Keep going. If you think you are a no-good bum, you will probably live, live like a no-good bum. If you think you are an inferiority complex-ridden wallflower, guess what? You behave like an inferiority complex wallflower would live. If you think there's no way I could stand up in front of people and say anything, if you live with that as a picture of you, that's the reality you get. Now he says, turn it around. Watch this. There's one more sentence here. But if, however... You see yourself as a child of God who is spiritually alive in Christ. Now, that's the key. In Christ, you will begin to live accordingly. Next to a knowledge of God, a knowledge of who you are is by far the most important truth you can possess. So here's the question. How do you perceive yourself right now? Hmm? How do you perceive yourself right now? Well, Neil Anderson is suggesting is that if we will simply grasp the truth of what it means to be in Christ, the identity that the New Testament, that the Bible gives us, starts to become our own perception. And in fact, this, this is worth the whole price of the book. He has a page and a half of what he calls his little I am statements. The Bible says I am, therefore I am. A page and a half. Let me just run some of these by you. I am a child of God. True or false? Oh, yeah, I am. But why don't I live like a child of God? Why, why, why do I get beaten down? He says, you know, you read this, read this page and a half every morning for two weeks. I think that's great counsel. I'm a child of God. Here's another one. I am Christ's friend. How do I know I'm Christ's friend? Because Jesus said in John 15, you are my friends. I'm Jesus' friend today. When you, be, when you head out of your dorm room or you head out of your apartment or trailer, you head out with the concept, I am his friend. Here's another one. We're just reading this one. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm his temple. Wow, he's inside of me right now. And then I love his last one. Oh, this one's good. I'll put it on the screen. His last one goes like this. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Isn't that good? Yeah. He's just quoting Paul there in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. 
Paul says, listen, I know you got expectations for me. I know you're kind of dissing me. I don't care. I am what I am. I don't have to live up to your self-concept. I don't have to live up to your picture of me. I am what I am. I have been wired this way, and this is the way I live. If you don't like it, talk to God. He's the one who made me. I am what I am. What are you? What are you? Uh, Could it be that once we know what we are in Christ... We will live accordingly. Look, 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 look. If I, if I am a child of the king, then can't I live with a quiet confidence that comes from recognizing, hey, what are children of the king called? So what, what's a boy child of a king called? What's a boy child of the king called? It's a prince. What's a girl child? Princess. If I am a child of the king, can't I live like a princess? Can I live? Can I go through the day like a prince? I mean, please, I'm not taking your word for it. I know who I am. I'm a child of the king. You may not be as wealthy as the queen of England, but you are a child of the king of heaven. Hey, listen. You may be looked upon in social media as the scum of the earth, the detritus of society, but guess what? You and I were bought with a price. Somebody paid an infinite price to have you with him. Wow. Wow. You were bought with a price. What's the price? <laughs> let's let Peter, let's let Peter throw in his two cents worth. Peter on the screen, First Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. For you know, sure you do, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, which is another word for bought, bought from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No, 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 no. But you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Man, did somebody really love you that much? Did somebody really pay an infinite price to have you in his heart? Give me a break. A hundred years ago, these words on the screen, the soul is of infinite value. The worth of the soul can be estimated only by the price paid to ransom it. And now notice this, three exclamation marks in a row. Calvary, Calvary, Calvary will explain the true value of the soul. Son and daughter of God, that is you, isn't it, out there? Son and daughter of God, you're a child of the king. Somebody sacrificed everything to have you and me back. Then shall we not live as sons and daughters of the king? Speaking of a king, John Stott in his commentary on Romans tells of how King George V, so this is over in England, how King George V used to admonish his son, Edward, Prince of Wales. This is the king that abdicated eventually, all right? Young Edward... He later, Edward, recalled how his father disciplined him. Uh, these are his words, Edward's words. My father was a strict disciplinarian. Sometimes when I had done something wrong, he would admonish me saying, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are. Stott then writes, put it on the screen, John Stott. It is my conviction that our Heavenly Father says the, the same to us every day. My dear child, you must always remember who you are. I'm a child of the King. I'm a child of the King. With Jesus, my Savior. Don't we sing that? I'm a child of the King.
How much are we worth? The full and deep healing of our fractured self-worth, our broken self-concepts. No, 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 no. You're not that. You are a child of the King. So that we would never forget, Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. He put emblems out on the table. And he said, every time you do this, I want you to remember my death for you. I exchange places with you in eternity with all my being. I want you to remember I bought you back. And you are worth all of this to me.